Welcome to Iron Rhetoric with your intrepid host, Pastor Brett McAtee. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown, standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. We say hello. Um, it's been a while, actually, since I've sat down and done a podcast, although my good friend Matthew Smith has been making sure that they've been running. So it's good to be able to uh, converse with you again and and uh, just pick up on some thoughts. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and uh, hopefully that you'll find this beneficial. Um, we're looking at this idea of really this is kind of a worldview post um, it may be kind of a backhanded way to get at it. We're asking the question, is the social imaginary, that was an idea of 21st century philosopher Charles Taylor. Uh, we're asking if that's the same thing as the 20th century philosopher J.H. Bavinck's, what he called world vision. Um, Bavinck was, I think it was a nephew of the more uh, well-known Herman Bavinck. Um, and then it might be the case that they also, both the social imaginary and the world vision, which we'll describe as we go on here, it may be the case that they fall into the categories of what my mentor, Dr. Glenn Martin, uh, was talking about when he wrote about eclectic and conglomerate thinkers. In each one of these things, whether you're talking about the social imaginary, whether you're talking about uh, Bavinck's world vision, uh, whether you're talking about eclectic and conglomerate thinkers, in all of these you have the idea that people move in terms of a worldview that they do not self-consciously recognize as such. In other words, in all these cases, the individuals under consideration have not arrived at the way they're leaning into the world by being epistemologically self-conscious about the ideas that they're forming, the foundation for why they lean into life the way they lean into life. Instead, to, to use a metaphor, they're, they're flowing with the cultural river current of whatever Sitzenleben situation in life that they're, that they're living in. So they've been born into this particular culture with a particular set of ideas that create this culture. Remember we say that culture is uh, theology poured over a set people group. It's theology externalized. Um, and so people born into a culture, also born into a worldview, they're born into a theology. And most people... Uh, whether you're talking about a social imaginary, whether you're talking about a world vision, whether you're talking about an eclectic thinker, most people never pause to consider the set of ideas, the world vision that they've been bequeathed um, by their particular culture. Um, the way I've often put it, it's helpful for me anyway, is the analogy of a Hollywood film set. People, exceptions notwithstanding, are, are chameleons, and they will blend into any film set that the culture gives them. So if the culture is the equivalent of, say, a pirate film, those who are not epistemologically self-conscious about their belief system uh, will dress in pirate hats, wear eye patches, and go, go around saying, ah, I maybe. Um, if in their lifetime, which this doesn't very often happens, but we're living through one example today in our culture, uh, if they, in their lifetime, the cultural film set switches to a Western, um, those same people uh, who are suddenly dressed in pirate attire will suddenly begin to wear 10-gallon hats and speak with a Texas drawl. 
Um, they're just they're just going with the flow. They're just flowing downstream. They're not asking the questions about the presuppositions and premises upon which all these ideas are based. Most people, then, what we're saying is, um, whether you're talking about a, somebody's world vision, whether you're talking about a social imaginary, whether you're talking about an eclectic or a conglomerate thinker, most people intuit truth. They, they do not intuit it uh, very well as, as well. Uh, in the words of Michael Polanyi, by the way, Polanyi did some great stuff on what they called tacit knowledge. But in the words of Polanyi, uh, they use what's, uh, what, what I just referred to as tacit knowledge to ascertain what it will take to surf the zeitgeist and then will accordingly adopt whatever it takes to fit into um, Charles, Charles Taylor's concept of a social imaginary uh, or Bavinck's calling it the prevailing world vision and thus demonstrating themselves, in Martin's words, to be eclectic or conglomerate thinkers. Um, I just find it fascinating that you have these guys, Taylor, Bavink, Martin, separated by, by quite a number of years, and yet they're all reaching, they're all stretching for, for the same idea, uh, putting a different tag on it, putting a different title on it. And I think it's important uh, as Christians to recognize this because part of what we have to do in presenting biblical Christianity is to realize that the people that we're communicating with is in a, is in a, a different uh, ideological bubble um, that we're in, and we have to find a way to enter into their bubble, uh, into their pirate film set, into their Western film set, uh, in order to challenge them to pull them out uh, of that improper way of thinking. Still, like it or not, the, the substrate underneath all of this is a handful of people who both play with and popularize and implement ideas, which in turn eventually gets into the bloodstream of a culture so that the social imaginary or world vision can begin to gain traction so as to explain why the overwhelming majority of people lean into the times and so live the way they live. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is, is a kind of a macro view of how we approach uh, dealing with culture because, to quote from John Maynard Keynes here, uh, he gave this quote in a different context, but it applies here. Keynes wrote years ago, he said, quote, Practical men who believe themselves to be quite exempt from any intellectual influence are usually the slaves of some defunct ideologue or theologian. He goes on to say, Madmen in authority who hear voices in the air are distilling their frenzy from some academic scribbler of a few years back. Right? So you do get a handful of people who are uh, sociological applicators, was the phrase that Glenn Martin used. A handful of people who who know what they believe and why they believe and what they don't believe and why they don't believe it. And some of these people are, are biblical Christians, but some of them are lunatics. Um, they're Christ haters. But still, they're playing with these ideas. They're epistemologically self-conscious about playing with these ideas. And the ideas that they're playing with end up getting into the bloodstream of culture and end up, end up influencing everything down line from their original ideas. Uh, for example... Uh, Charles Darwin is an example. He came up with the idea of evolution, but it was Herbert Spencer who, his, who was his popularizer who took that idea of evolution and applied it not just to biology, but applied it to sociology, applied it to history. Uh, Herbert Spencer is the reason why evolutionary thinking got into law and education. Uh, he's the one that, that, that made it go. So he was, he was someone who was a social 
uh, visionary, a world vision guy who was able to communicate from the ideas of Darwin and bio biology, but take it and apply it to everything else so that finally got into the bloodstream of the whole culture so that, so that the evolutionary mindset became the, the presupposition of the way that life is uh, for the 12-year-old playing Little League Baseball. Um, and that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but you, you know where I'm, I'm going with this. Um, people are, are holding uh, ideas and concepts in our culture that come from, in Keynes' word, some madman in authority who are, who are voices in the, in the air and are, and are distilling their frenzy from academic scribblers of a few years back. All of this explains why ideas are, are, are everything. It's not the politician um, or the general or you know, some people that we, the, the corporate uh, Elon Musk, they're not the guys that are really the important movers and shakers. It's the people who play with ideas and who are epistemologically self-conscious those are the important people because what they do end up in driving the Elon Musk, uh, driving um, the politicians, driving the school teachers, the professors. All they're doing is just, is just swimming in the pool that these, these chaps earlier created. And as Christians, we need to understand J.H. Uh, Bavinck's idea, Charles Taylor's idea, Glenn Martin's idea, so that we can more um, purposefully engage others and so that we ourselves don't find ourselves um as paul says being conformed to this world but instead transformed by the renewing of our minds There's, all of this reminds us that christianity is not um, the four spiritual laws uh, christianity is a totalistic worldview um that is theological and because it's theological it's also it's also ideological and it creates cultures christianity believed by enough people in a, a, a given social order will create a, a Christian social order. Um, just like alternate ideas, whether it's uh, evolution, whether it's uh, Judaism, whether it's Talmudism, whether it's Islam, those are all ideas that, that form and shape cultures. So the long and short of this is that the largest percentage of people don't live the way they live or believe what they believe because they have thought through matters. Uh, it's, it's not an attempt to be insulting here. It's just that is that is the nature of things. Um, very few people think about their ideas or where they've received them from. They've not spent their lives examining the whys and wherefores of life. They were born, so to speak, on ice. And having been born on ice, they just put on their ice skates and took off without a thought that just maybe that wasn't ice after all. Most people live the way they live and believe what they believe because they've caught all their convictions and lifestyles uh, the same way that a person, person catches a flu virus. And it is, in my estimation, the job of the Christian um, to present a Christ who fits in the context of a Christian worldview. Uh, let me tease that out just a second here. If we present Christ with what was popular now, now known as just, get, just give them the gospel, if we just give them the gospel, so to speak, without a fuller backdrop of what biblical Christianity is, and I'm not agreeing here, I'm not disagreeing rather here that we should give people the gospel. I'm just saying that if they are in an alternate uh, worldview, social visionary mindset, they're not going to be able to hear 
what what we're saying. And so it's incumbent upon us not only to give them the gospel, that needs to be done, but to try to alter their whole epistemological framework so that they have a better ability to hear what the gospel is all about. Because if we don't do that, what can easily happen is people going, are going to reinterpret the gospel through that prism of that uh, social visionary world vision that they're living in. And when they do that, then what happens is that the gospel that they heard is no longer is no longer the gospel because they've reinterpreted it through their lenses. And, and that happens all the time. For example, the R2K gospel, the radical two kingdom gospel, is really an Anabaptist uh, uh, libertarian gospel. Uh, it fits in with that worldview structure. Um, and so my challenge today in looking at social visionary worldview, vision, eclectic and conglomerate thinking, my challenge is just to let's try to take a step back and see things from even more of a macro perspective. Let's start challenging the premises and presuppositions um, that our culture dish out to us uh, through the media, th- uh, through Hollywood films, uh, through books that are written, through billboards that are put up. Uh, let's start uh, asking questions of, of those thought concepts that are presumed. This means that all in all, then, it is those who are the idea people who are the most dangerous people. Uh, as combined with those who promote the ideas, uh, which often sometimes they don't even understand what they're promoting. Um, for example, those that are in the advertising business, the advertising agencies, they push their products. I doubt very seriously they understand the worldview that's driving uh, what they're, the propaganda they're giving in their advertising. Uh, today, the idea people, of course, I, I think I've already hinted at this, but the idea people are um, the creators, producers, and the manufacturers of, manufacturers of culture, Hollywood, publishing houses, media, universities. Um, more often than not, in their role as cultural gatekeepers, they are even more instrumental for creating the cultural uh, background set by which people live by the pirate scene, the Western scene I was talking about earlier, than those ideas they are often unwittingly pushing. So to make this practical, if we as Christians are to have a plan of attack for returning to something that approximates Christendom, and I believe it's, all, it's my conviction that's what Christians should desire. Uh, if you have enough Christians believing Christianity, the result is going to be Christendom. Uh, that could take us down a whole other path of these idiots out there who are warring against Christian nationalism and, Christian, and Christendom. But that's another podcast. Um, but if we want to have a plan of attack for returning to something that approximates Christendom, then let me give a, a, a few ideas about what needs to be done. Negatively, we must give a deadly virus to this current cultural context so that the social imaginary or world vision can no longer be sustained by the average person in the culture. As biblical Christians, we had to find a way to make what was once considered odd behavior to be odd behavior again. Uh, that likely won't be done by just chanting over and over again uh, while pointing, that's odd, that's odd, that's odd. Instead, it'll be done perhaps by being able to mock the odd. Right now, using the absurd to illustrate, illustrate the absurd maybe one of our one of our best friends. Uh, for example, we could run an ad campaign where someone tries to run their appliance by plugging in a mail cord into another mail cord and run a tagline, gay lately? 
Look, Elijah mocked the Hades out of out of his and God's enemies. And I think it's time for Christians uh, to continue uh, clever mocking. Um, one people that have done this well is uh, the White Boy Summer Group. Um, they've done a really good job of, of mocking uh, the ideas of people like Doug Wilson and uh, other people who are against, uh, uh, how do I say this, against, their, against the idea that they should cling to their own people. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Um, so, guys, uh, White Boy Summer, if you're out there, I don't know who you are, but I think you've done a really good job not only in the mocking department, but some of these mashups that you've been doing on videos uh, have been really quite good. The kind of thing I'm talking about to get people thinking. Secondly, I, that was a negative aspect. Positively, we have to have some people who are idea people who are casting biblical Christianity in such a way that the current pagan theology of the self, as one example, is challenged. And some other people who can promote those ideas, once they come up with these ideas, how to promote these into pop culture. Um, we, we, are, we are consumed with the individual atomistic self. And we have to have idea people who are casting biblical Christianity, and now I'm repeating myself, in such a way that that idea uh, loses currency. J.H. Ba Bavink argues uh, on this level that the Christian worldview is far more important than individualistic late modern Westerners usually realize. Although very few individuals master and animate entire cultures and civilizations. In that light, Bavink portrays the late modern secular West as unwittingly living off borrowed Christian capital in order to prop up new world and life views that, thus far at least, have only run a deficit. While every individual is unique, there's a distinct kind of modern Western personality that takes shape through Western culture's love hate relationship uh, to Christianity. As Babbing states, worldviews last no longer than one generation. One generation celebrates worldviews that provide no foundation for its life and without the generation's exterior taking on noticeable damage. This is so because all of us, for all of us, our hearts are unconsciously so Christian. Uh, again, while cultures may be driven by grand worldviews, world Bavink argues that most individuals are not. Um, a better way, for I think, to say that is they, they don't realize that they've bought into the grand worldview. Um, and that's what's happened in the West. What I'm saying is that um, we have to produce grand worldviews so that individuals are, are once again moving in terms of a Christian worldview without realizing that that's what they're doing. An example of all this is because uh, as you can call it the atomistic self, you can call it the turbo self, because it's now ascendant, so that self is now king in the most grossest way possibly imagined. I mean, for example, the self is so king right now that the self can by itself determine that it's not biologically what it was born as. I mean, that's, that's how crazy we've gotten with the authority of the self. Um, and because that's the case, anything the turbo self can pull out of its social imaginary world vision can be expected to be given the imprimatur of social acceptability. And the only exception to this would be the oddity of some turbo self identifying with traditional Christian norms. That turbo self 
would be squashed in a skinny minute. More likely, with the rise of the turbo self, we can expect more reality-altering, such as was codified by Obergefell versus Hodges. And what Obergefell did is it taught us that there will be no restraint on the turbo self creating reality out of their social imaginary. But keep in mind that individuals that are, that are turbo self creating reality out of the social imaginary doing so because that's what the macro worldview is telling them is acceptable. In practice, what this means is that just as the Uranian be behavior of the turbo self was codified by SCOTUS at the Supreme Court, so we can expect eventually for, for every pervy behavior that the turbo self can come up with to also be accepted and perhaps even codified eventually by SCOTUS. As, if things do not change, if God does not give reformation, we are not 10 years away from pedophilia um, being codified. We are already seeing something of what I'm talking about with the acceptability of, of trannies, which is another fine example of the work of the turbo cell. And we'll see this with the rise, as I just said, of pedophilia. And keep in mind that whatever the turbo cell can imagine is, is to be accepted uh, because is what will what will indeed come to place because the fallen self is now sovereign. In previous understandings of the self in the West, the self was understood to be shaped and formed by the communal covenantal institution where it was suffused and so marinated. And with the rise of the turbo self, these institutions such as family, church, guild, university, they no longer serve as places where the self is molded, influenced, and even challenged. In our age, what I'm calling the turbo self age or the atomistic individual age, these communal covenantal institutions of family, church, university, etc., are only valued as they serve as a platform uh, for the ability of the turbo self to express itself or to put itself on display. And now instead of being shapers of the self, institutions in the age of our, our radical postmodernism now are to, to be themselves shaped by the atomistic turbo self. So the communal, the covenantal, is almost, we're almost at the point where that's been eclipsed. All sense of the communal man is gone, and what is left is only the sovereign turbo self. And the irony here, though, is that what is in point of fact happening is the self is still being identified as influenced by institutions. However, the institutions have been for a generation institutions that are revolutionary and have been preaching the turbo self at least since the sexual revolution of the 1960s. And you can go perhaps even behind that with the rise of uh, the Frankfurt School and cultural Marxism in the 1930s. Um, so this is where we're at. And Christians have to start thinking and realizing that they have to be idea people. Um, they have to start thinking in terms of uh, the presuppositions that are guiding the zeitgeist. And then, and then attacking those presuppositions, and as I said, at a, at, on a, at a micro level, attacking them by mocking them. But you can't mock them successfully unless you first understand um, these presuppositions of the social visionaries or the world vision. Once you understand them, then you can, you can get to the heart of the matter and easily, and easily mock them. And, but at the same time, we cannot only just mock them. We have to be able to offer uh, an alternative that makes sense. And so I've been reading a little bit of, of Bavink. Of course, I'm, I'm very familiar with Glenn Martin. Uh, I know some of Charles Taylor. It's just that I got, I, I started reading a, a couple books at the same time that were dealing with the, 
the self, and it's what drove this particular podcast. So I thank you for your patience, and if you have any questions, I'm pretty sure you know how to reach out to me. Uh, Godspeed and good night. Thank you for joining us this week. Look for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor FM. Don't you know she could bring a good feeling ain't having such a long time?